0: Welcome to PhotoActive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. This week, we want to talk about something that everyone thinks they know a lot about, and that's sensors and megapixels in cameras, in smartphones. And we're happy to have Richard Butler with us. Richard Butler is technical editor for DP Review. Richard, thank you very much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. I find it interesting that you're from the country I live in and living in the country I used to live in. And we've had several people like that on this show. Why does DP Review have so many British people? Um, Well, DP Review, I think,
1: was founded in Singapore. But then um, when we expanded, uh, it was based in London. So there was a lot of recruitment while we were based in London. Right. And then, then when we relocated to Seattle, it was too, got, too good a job to give up. So a lot of us moved with, with the company.
0: Okay. How do you I like it know. there?
1: Um, well, I mean, the weather's pretty much the same <laughs> as, uh, as back home. So, you know, all of my wardrobe worked. It's, you know, it was about as seamless as it could be, you know, trying to cross between the two cultures.
0: Okay. So the obvious question is, with sensors, is bigger better? Um, I mean, generally, yes, absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Richard. It's been a pleasure (laughs) to talk to you. (laughs) No, the the question comes up because I'm going to go back and I'm not sure how many years ago this was when Apple, I think Phil Schoer introduced one of the new iPhones. He said, the megapixels don't matter, bigger pixels matter. And my thought was like, dude, You're doing the marketing spin because I was saying before the show to Jeff that that the iPhone with only 12 megapixels is really problematic now, given the quality of the photos that they can make, because you don't have any um, headroom for cropping. And there's rumors that they'll have a 48 megapixel sensor in the next iPhone. I don't know if they'll jump from 12 to 48. But are Apple's bigger pixels better than someone else's normal size pixels? Well, I think it's quite interesting to draw a line between
1: smartphone sensors, which are absolutely tiny and the sensors in most um, consumer cameras, You know, whether it's one inch sensors in an RX100 or you know, anything bigger than that, all the way up to sort of medium format. Um, the pixels in smartphone sensors tend to be absolutely tiny. And when you get down to that kind of scale, then there is some benefit to having, um, to having larger pixels, uh, simply because you're dealing with so, so little light. That you know anything you can do to capture that bit more is just going to help overcome noise and you know produce a better image. So it's a slightly different story when you're talking a big camera versus a smartphone.
0: So is it just that we're to the point where next time there's a bigger sensor that comes out, we should upgrade our cameras? Um, Jeff and I both shoot Fujifilm, and I have an XT3 and an XE4. They both have what the 26 uh, megapixel. Sensor Jeff, you upgraded from an X-T2 to the
2: X-T1 to the X-T3? An X-T1 to an X-T3, so I think I went from like 16 to 26 or 24 or something like that. And, you know, while I had the X-T1, uh, my general take was, you know, it's, it's perfectly fine. I've made some very nice images with it. I, I'm not desperate for more megapixels. And the way these things work, once I had more megapixels, I was like, oh, well, actually, <laughs> uh, this is really nice. I, I, I think there was maybe one time when I was shooting and really noticed the fact that, that my X-T1 was older and having fewer megapixels just didn't let me do some of the editing that I wanted. And so, you know, now I, I feel like I'm still in that camp of, well... I have 26 megapixels, and I can crop, and I can do all sorts of good things like that. So I'm just fine where I am. And then I look over at the the Fuji GX100S, which is 100 megapixels, and there's a little part of me that says, oh, but, but wouldn't that be nice? I don't know if it's $6,000 nice, but, <laughs> you know. And then, like, th- there's that whole range in between where you're like, okay... It's not like I'm making bad images now because I don't have enough megapixels, but you know w- what would a hundred megapixels give me, and you know do I even need to focus on all this because it, it can be so obsessive? Sorry, there wasn't a question there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I
1: mean I th- I think that you've sort of cut to the heart of the things I have to think about every day. Um, I've just. Finished reviewing the GFX 100S, and I have to say, you know, a a sensor that big and 100 megapixels is a wonderful combination. I mean, you just you can can keep zooming into the image, and it's just so full of detail. And what's lovely is if you shoot more megapixels and downs downsize it, you'll still have more detail than if you just shot at the resolution you're downsizing to. So um, even if you, you know, because a lot of people say, well. Why would I even need 100 megapixels? You know, I was fine when I had 12 or 16. The answer is, you know, you don't need it. Um, Nobody, you know, almost nobody, I'm not going to say nobody needs it. Almost nobody needs 100 megapixels. But once you've started shooting that way and you've realized how much you can crop in and how much detail remains, even when you don't, you know, whatever size you're using it at, it's lovely to have. And then it's got a big sensor, so it's capturing so much light. So your tonal quality is, is, you know, is just beautiful. Um, it's very hard to step back from having used that camera to using anything you know, slightly more, slightly more every day. Um, but as you say, it's $6,000. Um, and what I'd say is while you have a camera and they're shooting with it and they're enjoying it, you know, don't worry about it. The time yeah. to worry about should I, you know, should I worry about a bigger sensor, should I worry about more megapixels is when, you know, your camera dies or you, or you, you know, find yourself, you know, find yourself with a bit of money and think, oh, maybe it's time to upgrade. But in between, don't worry about it. It's not going to, you know, it's, it's not in, it, in and of itself going to make your photography better. So you know, um, I spend a lot of my, you know, I spend all my life writing advice for people who are thinking of upgrading. But that doesn't mean you know, if you're happy with your camera, that should prompt you to upgrade. They're, they're, they're two different things.
2: Also, I don't want to get too far afield. But when I think of a 100 megapixel sensor, that also makes me realize that I need to make sure I have a machine that can handle that on the other side. Because yay, it's great to have a giant image. But you know, e- each image is what, how, like, like the file size has got to be just massive.
0: Well, it's probably four times the, the the raw files we have, which are about fifty megabytes. so It's probably about two hundred megabytes. I would say this, just buy the cheapest M1 Mac, and you won't have any problems.
2: Ah, that would be a good test. <laughs> and, and, and to
1: do try uploading them, um, you know, we we we, yes. a, we have an image sample gallery that people can download, and sitting yeah. on my rather clunky home Wi-Fi, trying to get uh, trying to get two hundred megabyte uh, raw files to upload. That oh was gosh. that was a a long and very tedious afternoon. Just thinking, okay, I can. The rest of the review's ready. I just come on, keep uploading, <laughs> keep uploading. Um,
0: yeah, but uh, how far are you from the office? Because it might be easier to just hop on a bike and take a USB stick. That's true. Um, well, I'd need
1: quite a big USB
0: stick. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah it, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to about being able to go back into the office one day is having you know you know non hamster powered internet.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just looking at the image sensor format page on Wikipedia. So we're talking about APS-C on Fuji, um, and also I guess Nikon, Sony, Canon. They all have similar sized um, sensors. And the medium format that they give as an example, a Kodak sensor, is four times the size. Is the hundred megapixel sensor four times the size of the twenty-six megapixel sensor, or are the pixels larger or smaller? Um, actually, in this case, they are almost certainly exactly the same pixels.
1: Um, Sony Semiconductor makes a series of sensors all based around the same pixel size. And if you look at the pixel count of the X-T4 against its sensor size, the Sony a7R4 um, with its 61 megapixels, and then the, um, the Fujifilm GFX100s with 100 megapixels, and actually even the Phase 1 IQ4s, if you've got you know, tens of thousands of dollars to spend. They've got an even larger sensor, 150 megapixels. They've all got exact, essentially the same pixels in them. So they're... they're, they're the as same pixel density. Same pixel density. Um, And and one of the guys in our science forum has looked really closely at the noise pattern of the GFX100. You can actually es- essentially see the join between the four sensors. It is, It is pretty much literally four APS-C sensors. It's
0: four sensors rather than one big sensor. Yeah.
1: It's very hard to fab a, a sensor that big reliably, so you, you stitch them together. Oh,
0: okay. okay. And it also has a – I think the GFX100 has a pixel shift thing, so you can make a 200-megapixel photo, um, which a lot of cameras can do that, right? Yes. Do, so you can get the megapixels without the sensor but everything has to be like perfectly still doesn't it pretty much yeah because what what you're doing is you're,
1: you're you're taking a photo shifting the sensor by half a pixel width then taking another photo then moving it up by half a pixel width taking another photo moving it to the right by half a pixel all of that takes time and actually the bigger the sensor generally the longer it takes to read out so the longer you longer gap you have to leave between each of those photos so those techniques actually work better for smartphones and um, and smaller sensors than they do for large ones, which is why at the beginning, when I said generally bigger is better, the very small sensors in smartphones, plus quite a lot of processing power, plus the you know, seemingly unlimited R and D budgets of companies like Apple, you can actually squeeze an awful lot out of um, small sensors. If you do things like taking multiple photos, you know, one after another, Intelligently blend them together, you get the same you get the same image quality benefits as you would using a large sensor to take a single photo. So you know there, there are ways around it. Um, and I was interested that you said you said there was speculation about Apple going to 48, and that that's quite a, quite a big jump from 12.
0: But it's, it's four times four times.
1: Um, And there are definitely sensors out there that use essentially enlarged versions of the Bayer pattern spreading over four pixels which means you can all do all sorts of things in terms of uh, sort of phase detection and you can produce you know a high res you can produce a um a low noise 12 megapixel image by binning the pixels together or you can produce a high resolution image by treating them separately so yeah i think that that sounds pretty plausible to me
0: in fact that would be typical apple to come out with this thing We've got this thing where it takes four pictures at the same time, a half a pixel apart, and puts them together with 14 trillion operations per second. That's the kind of marketing. And make it put sound out. like
2: they invented it. <laughs> yes, yes, that too.
0: Um, ju- just one thing, Jeff, if you're thinking of upgrading to the GFX, don't forget you have to buy all new lenses. Oh, too. I know.
2: I know. That's, that's also a a consideration where i'm like yeah my xt3 is going great i'm i'm fine with it for now because yeah i would have to get all all new lenses
0: for for cameras like these do we have the largest sensor that the cameras can hold now the 26 megapixel um the the mount
1: uh, the 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 x mount that fujifilm uses um does appear to be designed around uh aps-c so um You'd struggle to fit a full-frame sensor in there, and and then you know and of course you'd then have to develop a whole new set of lenses, even if you stayed within the same mount. Um, you know, a lot of brands talk about,
0: oh, there's an upgrade path. Oh, you'd have to have new lenses because the di- the distance between the sensor and the lens changes, so the crop factor changes, or is it the size of the sensor that, that changes the, the crop? factor?
1: The size factor? of the sensor would change the crop factor, but frankly, most of the lenses built for uh, the X mount at the moment they project an image circle that's only a little bit bigger than APS-C. So even if you put a full-frame sensor in there, you wouldn't be able to light like the corners of it. So you'd need to make right. a series of full-frame lenses for, for X-mount, just, um, just as on Sony's E-mount, you have some lenses only work on APS-C, and then the FE ones cover the full-frame the full, full sensor.
0: So are companies like Fuji going down a dead end now for the future? It depends on how you look at it. If if you
1: see full frame as being, you know, the only format anyone should care about, then then perhaps.
0: No, I'm thinking more. They they went from 18 to 24 to 26. They're not going to be able to go to 32, right? Well, that's what I'm asking. With with the same lenses. Oh, absolutely. Um. So you you can't go to a larger sensor necessarily, but you but as pixel
1: technologies improve, um, there's no reason you couldn't go to to finer pixels, um. At a certain point, you'll start to get diminishing returns because, you know, your lenses may not resolve that many megapixels. Um, you know, diffraction will limit, you know, the the absolute sharpness you can ever achieve. But um, as I say, you know, the pixels off the top of my head, are, are they 2.76 or 3.76 microns? Um, but smartphones, it's... it's, it's
2: Too I much wish, information.
1: Um, <laughs> but essentially, they're, they're sort of two and a half, three times bigger than the typical pixels in most smartphones. You know, they're, they're vast by, by smartphone standards. So there's, there's plenty of scope for them to be, you know, downsized um, and still perform well. Um, so yeah, th- no, there's,
0: I think, I, I have to assume we'll see it. I've always wondered, lenses are round, right? They project a circle of light. Wouldn't it make more sense to have a square sensor? than a rectangular sensor. I mean, the rectangular sensor is obviously adopted because of the 35 millimeter format, but wouldn't it make more sense to have a square sensor? And like Hasselblad, do they have a square sensor in their digital cameras? Um, I don't think, I can't think of anyone who's using a square
1: sensor at the moment. Um, I mean, obviously the ultimate, the optimal format would be to have a circular sensor. Um, and that way you could crop it in any, any direction. But, um, uh, but of course you you know your your photo frames would then just roll around all over the place it'd be it'd be a disaster yeah. <laughs>
2: um
1: but uh lots of people do propose the idea of a of a square sensor i guess the question is how often would you use the whole region because if you're always going to take a crop and you know most people are taking three to two or, or four to three images occasionally 16 by nine you know sensor real estate is expensive so to have all that additional additional sensor top and bottom that you're not using for you know whatever p- proportion of your photos, that, that's that's quite an expensive luxury. Then of course you've made the sensor bigger, so you've made it heavier, and that means that it's harder to apply image stabilization because you develop inertia.
0: Right. So
1: um, it 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 could be done. There's there's certainly an appeal to it. Um, you know you never have to turn the camera into the portrait format because you can just. Yeah, know, crop it to that later. But um, yeah. I think it would be expensive. And I'm not sure enough people would commit to the to the cost to make it worthwhile.
0: What what percentage of the cost of a camera is the sensor? If I knew I'd, I'd have published it by now.
1: Um, it's it's <laughs> something manufacturers uh, keep very close to their chest.
0: Does it cost 50 100 $200? What do you think? I, I, I'm not the person to ask. Yeah, because when when you look at you've got multiple cameras with the same sensor, right? And they can range from maybe five hundred dollars up to a couple thousand with the same sensor. So it can't be that expensive. But but it's not just the sensor; it's the computational stuff behind it. It's the computer that's connected to the sensor that's expensive. Yeah, I mean, um, probably not. You know, probably not in and of itself.
1: But the R&D that's had to go into it, right? And if you think about how you know how few cameras you sell in comparison to how many iPhones you sell, you know you've got a relatively small audience that you have to claw that money back from. Um, but part of it is, you know, um, part of it is simply that you know economics works on the basis of how much is the how much is the customer willing to pay. You know, you 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 don't sell a product for the amount it costs you to make it plus a profit margin necessarily so you know you put the most you know the highest end features in your top model and people are willing to spend more for it Um, so you cut some of those out for the mid-level model and then you cut even more out and you probably don't make much profit on your on your lowest end model and you know you segment the market and you know that can seem incredibly cynical especially if you know if you're somebody who wants the highest-end features and you know the technology exists in the middle-level model and you think, well, oh, they could they could just give them to me.
0: Or they yeah. could just turn them on in the firmware or whatever. Uh, uh,
1: yeah. Absolutely. It feels incredibly cynical. Yeah. But if you are the kind of c- customer who might buy the most expensive model and you can get away without having to pay for it, well, who's paying for the R&D? Who's you know? Yeah. Who's paying for the company's profit yeah. margin, which unfortunately
0: is how all of this works? So so I want to talk about the camera I lust after. (laughs) Um, I've mentioned it many times on this show. It's the Leica M Monochrome. And the sensor in that is totally different. Can you explain why the Leica M Monochrome has such incredible detail compared to other cameras? Um, Well, quite simply, it's because
1: it's not trying to capture color. So um, all the other cameras we're talking about, whether whether it's the X-Trans color filter pattern in front of a sensor in a Fujifilm or the conventional Bayer pattern, um what all of them are doing is they're capturing either red green or blue there are some other variations but they're capturing one of the three primaries at each at each photodiode and then they're having to interpolate they're tra- they're having to calculate what the values of the other two primary colors would be at that location unless you use pixel sh- pixel shift in which case you may well try and capture a red a green and blue for each location you get lovely detail the monochrome doesn't have to do that because it's only capturing black and white you don't put any color filter in front of the sensor so you're not having to basically blur the image by calculating pixel values based on its neighbors you can just directly directly take each you know each capture photodiode equals an output pixel so there's you know there's no demosaicing and there's no blurring therefore coming from the demosaicing so you get this incredible pixel level resolution it's it's exactly the same thing that um sigma uh Sigma-phobian sensors do and that's why there's such a loyal fan base for that that kind of sensor because you're capturing all your all your detail at a single pixel and you're not having to derive any of it from its
0: from its neighbors so does that mean that I, I think the the Leica M Monochrome is like a 24-megapixel, or no, it's actually a 40-megapixel now, isn't it, the latest one. Does that mean that it's really like a 160-megapixel sensor or 120 or something? Because if you're blurring everything on a, a normal 40-megapixel sensor, and here you're not, is that what makes the detail? Um, I'd certainly say it has – you can certainly say it has a um, –
1: you know a higher perceptual resolution than you'd usually get from a 40 megapixel camera it becomes very complex if you then try to use megapixels as your metric for discussing <laughs> you know because it, it right. literally is 40 megapixels so it it's it but it has yeah it has a resolution equivalent to a higher re, a higher resolution sensor with a bayer pattern on it
0: or the sensor with the bayer pattern has a resolution that's lower than the number of megapixels it has probably better to look at it like that yeah yeah that's that's probably fair so our 26 well we have an x-trans in the fuji cameras it's similar our 26 megapixel what Their resolution like 16 then well, because of all the interpolation as i say i don't
1: I, I don't think you can you can use the same metric to you know to mean to mean two different things i mean it, it is 26 megapixels you you know you've captured data at 26 million points and you're representing it at 26 million points um uh, if you think in terms of oh let no let's not go into video video color spaces let me let me catch myself there um sure so probably a fairer way of saying it is you have you certainly have luminance resolution of 26 me- megapixels so you've got brightness which pretty closely in in human vision equates to detail you you know you've represented the scene with 26 million pixels however you haven't captured color at every you haven't captured full color at every pixel and so your chroma your your color layer isn't as high resolution as your luminance layer right but then you get into the fact that the green layer is is higher resolution than the red and the blue layer and so yeah it it, yeah. it becomes quite a headache quite quickly, um, but for all its faults, um, Bayer does a really good job of of striking that balance between detail capture and and chroma detail capture, and humans actually aren't particularly great at interpreting, you know, chroma detail. If 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 you would if you t- if you're to look at a fovean sensor image and a Bayer sensor image side by side, they don't look radically different until you zoom in. When you get into the pixel level, yeah, definitely the fovean one will be sharper. But if you saw it in a print, I'm not sure the degree to which you'd you'd see that difference. But you could print larger. Yes, probably, oh, Ass- assuming the same pixel count for
2: both cameras. Right. I have another question that it's one of those things that i sort of know the technical behind it but i've not looked into it enough to really be like oh yes this is exactly how it works a lot of cameras are now coming out with stacked sensors for either higher resolution or focusing and basically like like can you explain what a stacked sensor is because my mental model has always been there's a square bit of electronics and the light hits that and it gets saved and there you go but of course that's not really what's going on right yeah well um i mean to to a great extent that's exactly what's going
1: on um <laughs> okay, uh, good. Uh, stacked cmos is um it can mean all sorts of things because um it it's basically a fabrication technology um uh, the first cmos sensors were called, were known as front side illuminated and generally the you'd you'd etch the Uh, the photosensitive element and then you'd etch the the wiring on the top and then you know that that's your sensor Mm -hmm. then uh, then the next generation was backside illuminated sensors um, where you did exactly the same thing but you then shave it off the silicon that you've built it up on flip the chip over and now all of a sudden your photo your photosensitive element is at the front and your wiring is at the back so that's BSI sensor. So that that's one of the improvements between your XT1 and your XT3 uh, yeah. is the move from front side illuminated to backside illuminated. Um, stacked just takes this one generation further. And s- instead of just slicing off your entire sensor, it just slices off a single layer of circuitry. And then you then you can fabricate another one and slice that off, then you can fabricate another one and slice that off and and, and perfectly align them and and essentially glue them together. Uh, it it's it's a way of making sort of finer and more sophisticated circuitry without each layer being in competition with one another as you're as you're building it up. So um, most of the stacked CMOS sensors we're seeing are essentially photodiode at the front, some circuitry at the back, and then uh, behind that some DRAM. So they can read out super fast, and then they've got this huge cache of very very fast memory very, very close to the chip, um, which is why this Sony A1 and A9 are so quick, because they've got somewhere that they can just throw the data to and then start reading again or start doing something else. It, it allows them to be run much faster. But I know there are companies working on, okay, well, let's have the, the, fir- the, the front of the sensor be sensitive, just conventional Red green blue, then let's have an infrared layer behind that, or at least I think that's I think that's what's going on. Um, but it's it's more a fabrication technology. You can then design all sorts of different things as you as you come up with clever ideas of what to do with it. So um, in and of itself, the phrase stacked CMOS doesn't tell tell us a lot. It, it's what it's what you, what you then do with the technology.
0: Okay,
2: so... So it's marketing. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, like... like that makes it sound special. Is it an efficiency thing? So, so you can just, just pump out a lot more data? Because I know that's obviously an issue when we get into larger sensors is that image data has to travel from the sensor to the storage and refresh so you can, you know, not have to wait a long time between each shot. Or is it a... A, a, a focusing mechanism or is is the stacking just a technique and then they can do various things with it so so yes
1: stacking is is the manufacturing technique okay. um you know and it and it's very it's it requires incredible precision if you think about how how big a silicon chip is if you then imagine having to shave you know these these incredibly tiny you know with you know maybe 50 million individual elements on the on each one yeah. um The idea of shaving a layer off and then then aligning it perfectly to another another layer of silicon that's also etched with 50 million details on it and lining them up precisely um i mean they end up being very expensive that's certainly why you know a lot of cameras with with big stacked sensors are expensive but as you say it's basically a technique that you can do multiple things with what we've seen so far um in certainly in large large sensors has been all about fast readout and if you can read out sensor quickly and your phase detection is, is coming, phase detection information, your autofocus information is coming from the pixels, then the quicker you can read them out, the quicker you can interpret the results and cause the autofocus to to respond to that and then get an update on how well it's done. And then you know, you, can, you can do that feedback loop so much quicker. So it ends up improving focus,
0: but only as a sort of byproduct of of, of its readout speed. So basically, bigger is better, buy what you can afford to buy. And we should we should probably just not worry about geeking out about all these, you know, fancy new technologies for sensors, because one day we're going to wake up and they're going to announce the 500 megapixel sensor and it's going to cost peanuts and it's going to be one of those leaps. But until then, it's it's incremental and... Just get what we can. We don't necessarily need the huge sensor.
1: Absolutely, and um, I mean, bigger is better in the sense that it, off, you know, it it can it can offer you better image quality, um, but it also tends to mean that the
0: lenses are bigger, and the lenses consequently tend to be more expensive, um, and heavier. Yeah, and heavier. And if you're if and that's one of the advantage of mirrorless cameras that they're so much lighter. Exactly, yeah. and um, you know. If, if what you're trying to do is travel with
1: something and have a camera that's always with you, bigger may not be better. Um, you know, it, it, in that moment where you're taking the photo, the biggest sensor you can have with you will take, will generally take the better photo. But if you haven't got the bigger camera with you, because you couldn't be bothered to c- drag it around with you, or you were worried about carrying thousands of dollars worth of gear around wherever it is you are, well, it hasn't taken the better picture because you haven't got it with you. So the, um yeah. i have to say if if i was buying a camera tomorrow i'd probably end up you know in in the apsc camp just because um i really like the xt4 there's a really nice selection of lenses that are suited to its sensor size um you know the lenses that i'd want to use exist um and i don't you know i've i've also got uh you know a bike buying habit and a suit buying habit to sport. And I can't, you know, <laughs> um, you know, money is not no object. So for me, actually, APS-C strikes a good
0: balance of image quality, portability, and price. Um, yeah. at, the medium format is really for professionals or people who do a lot of landscape photos and want the best resolution. And broadly speaking, but it's also for anyone who just thinks,
1: you know, this is the hobby I love. I want to, I yeah. want to be sure that it's not my gear that's holding me back. No, that certainly that's the way I buy bikes. I have a, a really I you know, my my racing bike is many many times better than I need because I don't race and I was terrible when I tried. Um, but uh, <laughs> you know, I never want it to be the bike that's holding me back. It's you know, I yeah, know, I don't mind it being my fitness. I don't mind it being my you know my my commitment. But uh, but I don't want I don't want my gear being the thing that's stopping me being
0: being better. Haven't we reached the point where every camera is good enough? I mean, go back to when digital cameras were four or eight megapixels and that was limiting and now at 18 24 26 or whatever or full frame it's good enough
1: oh i I think we've long ago passed past good enough we're now into you know do i want better um back to what back to what jeff said earlier um you don't think you need more megapixels and then you experience it and go oh actually that's lovely (laughs) <laughs> um yeah. that that said you know all all the super resolution processing that adobe is coming out with and i know other brands um you know have have got something similar one thing i'm hoping to do over the next couple of weeks is dig out some of my some of my first digital photos which were which were a whole six megapixels and there were were a couple of them that you know didn't didn't look great when i printed them as large as i wanted to print them and i really want to see what happens if i throw you know modern raw processing algorithms and then super resolution at them um and i'm tempted to even print it because i think somewhere i've got i've got a print i i i did back in sort of the early 2000s I'd, I'd love to compare them side by side and see you know how much i can squeeze out of the same really not very good super zoom camera from you know 20 years ago yeah, yeah.
2: i think i have a a palm trio somewhere or sorry images from a palm trio somewhere see what that does no that was really, 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 really bad at the time. That was a cell phone sensor that was even, I don't even, like two megapixels or something crazy. But yeah.
0: Okay, Richard, thank you very much for joining us. Richard Butler from DP Review. I think I think most people will have understood that they don't really need to spend the money on the better camera. I've always felt it's better to spend money on lenses because you have more possibilities with new lenses than you do with a new camera yeah absolutely
1: um so long as you know we're, we're going through a period where everybody's moving to new mounts whether that's you know x or e but even even you know canon and nikon are, are making that move across to completely new new mounts which are just you know to some degree back compatible so the idea that lenses are forever and bodies are you know, a transient isn't quite as true as it used to be but yeah ultimately you know you're A good lens will work across multiple, you know, will work across multiple generations of body. And frankly, yeah, it's much you're going to be in a much better state having the perfect lens for the for the job you're trying to do rather than go, well, I've still got my
0: same collection of lenses, but I've got a new new camera body and that's that's not going to help you. You know, that makes me think we'll invite you back in a couple of months to talk about lenses, about the technology behind lenses.
1: I'll, I'll have to do, do do a bit of brushing up, but I'd love to. <laughs> okay,
0: thanks for joining us, Richard. Thanks so much. Cheers. Okay, it's time for our snapshots. What have you got, Jeff?
2: I've got something that I'm going to recommend without having seen it, but, you know, it's sort of topical. Um, I noticed that there's a new show on Hulu, called exposure and it's one of these these reality competition shows so automatic you're like uh. and it's a camera focused one so it's a bunch of photographers competing and again i'm like eh. but it looks as if they're only using phones they're only using smartphone cameras which Kind of ratchets up the difficulty in a huge way. Now, again, I haven't seen it as we record this. There are only two episodes that have that have been released, but the fact that they would make a show just based around uh, camera phone shooting is really interesting. So, I'm definitely going to have to check this out. So, it's just called Exposure. It's on Hulu. And I would assume that there's probably some sort of prize and that the the winner doesn't just get exposure. What's your snapshot this week?
0: Um I have a collection of videos about photographers Masters of Photography that does a bunch of um, what they call masterclass video courses and I mentioned the one early in this podcast by Joel Meyerowitz that I watched um they have a webpage with a couple dozen videos organized about photographers and just looking from the bottom Robert Frank Irving Penn Andre Kertész Alfred Stieglitz Cartier-Bresson, Diane Arbus, David Yarrow, uh, William Eggleston, Gordon Parks, Edward Weston, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They basically just collated a bunch of YouTube videos and put them on one page. And I think this is a great curated page for anyone who's interested in learning more about photographers. The only problem is a lot of the videos are really low resolution, which means they were probably put on YouTube a long time ago. And some of them are like 240p or 360p. Oh, Um, Some are better. Um some are from TV channels there's a couple an hour long some are a half hour but just flip through it and you'll find a number of interesting photographers and uh, I like these documentaries about photographers I find it interesting to learn about the photographers and their photography definitely okay that's enough for this week until next time see you next time thanks for listening to photo active you can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the end. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.